Hey, I'm Dr. Drew, and you're listening to Drilled with Dr. Brady Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of Drill with Dr. Brady podcast. Got a super cool guest to talk with today. It's not Lowell. Lowell's out. Dr. Sherman House is in. And we are talking uh, about a lot of things today. Uh, Dr. Sherman House is out of Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, listen, he's a dentist. We've met on Instagram. Basically, this is our first time actually just talking together, which is kind of fun. But he messaged me some time ago with some topics to go over. And then, like, somehow it just got lost in the DMs. But I went through my DMs again. I saw it. And I was like, yeah, we got to have you on to talk about this. So welcome, Dr. House. How you doing today? Thanks, man. Good. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first thing I didn't realize is how many tattoos you have. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. That's important. I actually don't know how many tattoos I have, but I know that I have uh, 83 skulls tattooed on me. 83. My wife counted them. Is that all? Is that all? Yeah. So I got at least 83. Uh, let me ask you this. Do you think that makes you uh, more desirable as a dentist or less desirable as a dentist? Or does it depend on the patient? Um, I, I think that it probably makes it more desirable because it makes me seem more approachable. Yeah. That's what I'm and thinking. And then... Um, so like the hipster kids these days, they all dig it. Um, the people who are kind of like the World War II generation, they like it because I don't know. A lot of times they think that it it like equates the military service. Sure. Um, and then um, you know, and nobody else ever really sees it. I mean, now you know, in working at the school, I I don't frequently wear a lab coat just because it's during the summer. But I mean. Um, and you know, most of the time I'm in like a supervisory capacity, so I'm not PPE'd up. Okay. Um, so, um, so I'm seeing a couple sleeves. I'm actually super interested in a, in a sleeve tattoo. And I've been told like, if you don't know what you want to get as a tattoo, then you shouldn't get a tattoo. And I disagree because I just like the aesthetic of a sleeve. I think it looks super cool. And then I'll figure out what I want to put on it later. But I just kind of, at yeah. this point, I'm like, I kind of want that. But I'm yeah. like, what? What will the old people, the, the little old ladies in my chair, be afraid of me? I don't think so, right? No, I don't think so. And and like, um, I mean, maybe when I first got into this business, if you if you, um, well, when I first got into healthcare, it was not common for people to have tattoos. And we, um, let's let's get some let's get some history on you. You are a general dentist. What year did you mm-hmm. graduate dental school? How long have you been practicing dentistry? Uh, Eleven years. Eleven years. Okay. Yeah. Oh, but like just like me. Yeah. So I graduated in '09. Um, I did a hospital dentistry residency, and um, actually started practice while I was still in residency, kind of like on the DL. Yeah. Um, because it was against the rules, but I needed to mm. start paying Sally May. So you are a rebel in so many ways. Yeah. It looks like. So I did it. 
Um, and then, um, yeah, um, and then I did a uh, a secondary, like a mini residency in forensic odontology, and probably about seven years ago started doing forensic cases. Um, Wait, which you mean like identifying like dead bodies and stuff? Yeah, but more importantly, like or more commonly than that is just forensic record keeping, auditing stuff for um, litigation primarily. Oh, that wasn't as sexy as what I said. No, I mean I, I've done that stuff. <laughs> Have but, you? That's crazy. Yeah, not as not as common as the um, as the forensic record keeping stuff. Yeah. So okay, which is actually a lot funner than it sounds. It's, is it? Yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where you read some of. Well, basically the way it works is is um, you know you're usually retained by a law firm. And then they will give you a bunch of medical records and dental records and say, like, you know, what can you kind of parse out of all these? Because they don't understand all that stuff. Yeah. And um, and so I go through it and then kind of get to whatever the crux of their argument was. I just had a case is kind of interesting recently where this lady had had um, a full mouth extraction and complete dentures by a DSO and um ended up having like a really bad result according to her that she brought this lawsuit for okay and her main claim was that she lost all this weight and then um also sued for lack of consortium with her husband hmm. uh, yeah and so um she she ended up you know pushing this thing all the way to the point where she eventually got to depositions and when she got to deposition um I was able to kind of read through the record at that point and formulate a bunch of questions, um, you know, for the attorneys to give. And, you know, in situations like that, attorneys never ask you questions that they don't already know the answers to. Totally. So um, as it turned out, this lady's um, claim didn't jive with her medical record, which we'd also subpoenaed. So, in fact, after she had the full mouth extractions, it was an overall um, – improvement in her health including her hemoglobin a1c's and she put on 30 pounds so interesting so yeah. she didn't lose okay yeah well well there are definitely lots of people who are so debilitated by their teeth that just the removal and no replacement would be an yeah. improvement to their yeah. overall health that's for sure the case yeah and, and you know nobody needs teeth to eat i mean i know that you're up there in washington state but you know down here in tennessee we have these restaurants called cracker barrel and if you go into a Cracker Barrel, oh, it's like I'm familiar. Style seating. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with Cracker Barrel. You know? yeah. yeah, you could have 300 people in there and maybe like two sets of full teeth between all 300 people. Love it. And they're just oh. chewing away. So Love it. You don't, don't need you don't need teeth to eat. You know, I work amongst the people like you do. Uh, I am uh, I accept like all the insurance that nobody else wants. We accept state insurance, and I love working amongst i just feel like i feel so like insured that like i'm always going to have something to do i'm never going to not have anything to do i'm always gonna, there's more there's always dentistry to do and that's like yeah that's the demographic where you can kind of bank on that is that with lower education lower you know uh higher uh pot, rates of poverty poverty you're going to have you're going to be able to keep busy and yeah. and be more impactful and helpful i think so that's super interesting dude 
so uh, Dr. House has lots of tattoos. Uh, I know you got lots of guns. And a very famous dentist just made the news again. I don't know if you saw this. I like to talk yeah. about current events. You know where I'm going. Dr. Yeah. Walter Palmer, who uh, killed Cecil the Lion Cecil. about five right. years ago. Which, side note, me and my wife went to a Halloween party that year uh, dressed as uh, Cecil. The, she was Cecil the Lion, and I was uh, Dr. Walter Palmer. I wore like a white coat, and I had these like... Yeah red spray paint claw marks across myself and one more loops and that was my outfit super awesome anyway he's made the news again because he killed some ram in mongolia and uh anyways everyone's just all crazy with rage uh i've even heard dentists saying that they should take away his dental license because uh he went and killed uh, a ram that I think is technically on the endangered species list. However, what's interesting, I have a little bit of insight. I'm not a hunter. Uh, I, I definitely am a proponent of gun ownership, and I'm not against hunting. It's just something I've never gotten into. I've def, I'm, I actually would enjoy it, I think, if I could like do it to a level of like high quality and, and eat what I kill and like really kind of utilize uh, that uh, hunting for like my own benefit and the benefit of my family. But the guy who sells me all my insurances, my, my, my liability insurance, my malpractice insurance, he's a big game hunter. I've talked about this with him at length. And he's killed hippos and elephants and, and uh, leopards and lions. And he's killed just everything uh, under the sun. And he does this. Do you have any experience with big game hunting? Do you know a little bit about this? Um, I haven't done it personally, but I know a good bit about it um, just from patients and friends that do it on a regular basis okay here's what we gotta do um how many guns do you have uh plenty plenty as many as you have skull tattoos on your body Maybe. <laughs> one a gun a gun for each skull tattoo <laughs> no not yet getting there well, yeah getting there okay cool so so you gun enthusiast you're definitely a proponent of gun ownership like me like i mm -hmm. am but not a hunter um, I mean, I've hunted before, but oh, have you? like for, for birds and, um, you know, as far as like four legged game, I like hunting for stuff that hunts you back. Oh, dang. You know, like bears and boars and things like that. Oh, I thought you were going to say humans. And I was going to say, this just got really interesting. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Okay. So, um, here's, what's funny is that to me and tell me if I'm wrong, what you know, the, the, the department of fish, the fish and wildlife department of the United States, they determine what can be like crossed over basically like you know when someone goes across uh, internationally and they kill something they usually want to bring back the head or the horns or some tusks or a part of that animal so they can like make a trophy out of it right and mm -hmm. the, and what happens is that if it's if it's not approved by the fish and wildlife uh department then it's not allowed which is for example um one of uh the one of the big cats that my insurance salesman told me he's not allowed to kill is a cheetah. Can't kill mm -hmm. cheetahs. However, cheetahs yep. in many African nations, he tells me, I don't know if this is true, it sounds true, they're pests. And actually, I've actually had this confirmed by a number of people who've lived, from, lived in Africa who've told me, yes, cheetahs come in, they kill their livestock, they ruin everything, and they're really just, you know, they're so fast and they're, you know, lethal animals, they could kill you. 
mm-hmm. that, but they're very much considered to be pests, and there's a lot of them, and they're not as endangered as you would think. And but the U.S. doesn't allow, and most governments don't allow uh, cheetah body parts to be brought back to their home country, which means hunters aren't going after them. So mm-hmm. hunters don't get them. So in my mind, you tell me what you know. I think the the government of Mongolia and the government of the United States both allow these types of hunting to happen. Sure. And, and I think that the thing that a lot of the social justice warrior people overlook with these is um, in a lot of the cases of hunting, you know, especially like in Africa, you know, the money that it costs for a private person, you know, being a dentist or whoever the heck wants to do it to go over there and pay, um, you know, a professional guide. Um, and, you know, literally, usually it's, you're almost like employing part of a village to yeah. complete these hunts that, that the amount of money that it takes for you to get the tag or the permit to go get whatever that specific, um, game animal that you're going after to get, um, costs like on the order of like tens of thousands of dollars. Oh yeah. And, and so, you know, oh, yeah. one, one, um, killing one of those animals and, and they're usually very specific about which animal you're allowed to kill. Not like any lion or any, you know, a, a, a specific animal, but like this very specific animal, um, to be removed from the breeding population for whatever reason. Um, you know, be it that it's it's ill or it's old or it's mm-hmm. sick or infirm or something, you know, that uh, amount of, of money being injected into those communities, like keeps them afloat. Yeah. Um, you know, so um, I think if a lot of people sort of looked at it realistically, um, they'd see that it, it probably does a lot more good than it does harm. And, you know, a lot of those animals that are, are harvested are. Um, like I said, they're not, um, you know, necessarily, uh, vital to the breeding population anymore. And that's a lot, you know, of the, of the, uh, strategy and the tactics involved with maintaining those, um, endangered species a lot is, is maintaining the breeding population. Right. It's not poaching. Poaching is reprehensible, right? It's like, 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 uh, um, the the like I just don't think when I'm I saw a couple of Facebook groups and I've seen a couple like articles online with comments you can look at and it just seems like people are just, like super like unaware of the laws involved and the regulations that are there's tons of regulations involved with this and tons of money the ram that Dr Palmer DDS just went and shot in Mongolia they said the reports were that it cost him nearly a hundred thousand dollars which is on par see the guy I don't know if it's the same ram. But my insurance salesman went and hunted a ram in Mongolia. Might be the same kind of ram. He also went and hunted this weird gazelle-looking deer thing in, a, a, I think it was called an ibex, uh-huh. in Ethiopia. It's like an ibex, uh-huh. but it only lives in Ethiopia, and it costs him eighty grand. He told me to go get it. Yeah, to go to go get it. And there's no guarantee you get it. You get eighty thousand dollars, and there's and there's you don't you know it's you don't guarantee that you even see one. But you got a Correct. guide who you know obviously wants to maintain that. Anyways, but you go to the you're absolutely right. And he he told me when he caught, when he killed an elephant, I asked him one time. I said, "What was the scariest animal that you killed?" I was thinking lion. Uh, uh, he killed he's killed a few leopards 
Uh, and he said an elephant was the scariest one because mm-hmm. if you if you don't kill them, they'll charge you. And yeah. if they charge you, and you got to get about thirty yards for a kill shot, and if they charge you, you're I mean you're you're dead. They'll just trample you yeah. to death. And he said also one hundred percent of leopards charge you if if mm-hmm. you don't if you don't kill like leopards one hundred percent their in- instinct if they get shot and they're not killed they're coming right for you they're looking for the danger sure. and they're going to run right towards it and a lot of people die uh, killing these big games so it's it's not for like it's not like they're protect anyway also Walter Palmer he killed this ram and Cecil the lion with a crossbow which to mm. me is like a whole other level of of skill to make sure you drop yeah. these animals because um, the, I mean, it is, it is a risky business for sure. Risky business. Mm-hmm. Anyways, well, how do you feel this affects dentistry? Do you think this affects dentistry? Do you think this is like <laughs> good PR, bad PR, or just neutral? You think most people don't even get, this is like a, a 15 second blip in a news cycle and that's it. I mean, I think right now, like turning on the news any day of the week now, like there is, somebody that's outraged about something that I never would have foreseen. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. And I doubt that, um, you know, had not anybody reminded them, uh, reminded the populace that this was the same guy that, that shot Cecil the lion. They probably wouldn't even think it was the same guy. Yeah. Last time when he shot Cecil the lion, I remember the, the, the articles and the, some of the news stories there was a number of people outside his practice, like for weeks, like mm. signs and boycotts. And uh, anyway, he would be an interesting guy to talk to, I think, about like how this actually affected him. And if he's even yeah. really practicing that much, because I mean, that's he must do well because this is not a, yeah. this is not I mean, not all dentists can swing. Not all dentists can swing a hundred thousand dollar vacation. To, I, yeah. mean, I mean, that's a big that's a big chunk of change um anyway and one of the <laughs> one of the one of the articles he's got his one leg in the ditch because um the media has it in for him i think the the article i read the first sentence was something like the driller killer walter palmer is at it again or it was in the new york post so it's not like a super reputable uh uh um source but it's uh, you know they call him the driller killer is what they call him, which is like already like you know this is skewed towards like this is not going to give you very accurate information and there's all, there is a lot of positive sides to hunting, which leads me to my next point. Mm-hmm. You're a big gun enthusiast. Do you ever open? Do you uh, do you? Well, here's two, two questions. Do you ever open carry in your? Well, so you let's give some background first. Sorry, I'm all over the place. You work in uh, a dental school now, but recently mm-hmm. you were in private practice. So that's a recent change, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm sure the school would have maybe not look happen, maybe frown upon uh, carrying yeah. in the school. Yeah, it's not allowed. It's not allowed. Correct. I'm sure of that. Yeah. Um, but as a pri- in a private practice, it certainly is. If you if you wanted to, as long as it's your, sure. whatever state laws you have, uh, did you ever pri- did you ever conceal carry as a dentist? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the last practice I was at, um, um, there was three doctors there and two of us carried. Not open carry, concealed carry. Concealed carry, like around your ankle. Uh, yeah. yeah, or elsewhere. Yeah. yeah. 
Right on. Let me tell you. So did you ever have any experiences where you felt, did that happen because you had an experience that you felt like you needed to or that you should, or were you kind of like anything could happen? So I should just in case something were to go down, I want to be prepared. Or was there, was there an actual incident that occurred that made you feel like you should, you should, you should carry? Um, well, I mean, like, you know, prior to, um, going into dental school and going in the dental field, you know, I worked in as a first responder for, um, Oh, you know, the better part of, uh, a decade. Um, okay. And, uh, well, I guess more like 15 years, but you know, I, I worked in law enforcement and then I worked in fire and EMS. Um, and, uh, and, um, I still do that in a limited capacity, but the, um, you know, I, I've seen enough stuff over the years that, that makes me think that, um, really if there's uh, like an incident that happens and you're present for it, the police aren't going to make it there in time to help you. Sure. No, uh, really no first responders are going to make it there in time to help you. Um, so, you know, it's incumbent on you to, um, be responsible for your own self-protection. The other thing is, is I've worked in enough offices where the staff is big enough that there is invariably at some point in time, all the time, there is um, a husband and wife or a boyfriend and a girlfriend that are disgruntled with one another. And one of them works at my office. Yeah. And so they come in. You know, you know, I don't know how it is at your office, but, you know, like the back door is generally unlocked and, you know, you people come in, they bring cakes, they bring flowers, you know, happy birthday, Linda, whatever the heck, you yeah, know, totally. And, and you don't really think much of it. Um, but they also show up sometimes, you know, when they're disgruntled or pissed or getting divorced or whatever. And you might not necessarily you might be the last person to know that. Yeah. Um, you know, there was um, an active shooter situation that occurred at a dentist office in Tennessee where something like that happened. Um, was that close? And to it you? was actually. Yeah. And it was actually a. Uh, that was recent, uh, right? I think I remember reading about this. Like within the last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was actually I feel like it was a uh, just another patient that was like waiting in the lobby that had a concealed weapon on them that actually intervened and and um shot the the uh shooter um before he was able to kill anybody else i feel like he killed his former significant other yeah no i don't know the details of that but that was yeah i had an experience with a patient that really got me like worked up because he came in it was a new new visit the guy's like 55 years old a little a little crazy like somewhere between like uh, like kind of homeless crazy like a little bit like just the way he could talk the way he carried himself it was just a little tweaky mm -hmm. and he had severe bruxism so that you know, what that means for those listening is that he he just grind he grinds his teeth so much so his teeth have like wear facets in them so you can see the uppers and the lowers how they fit together because they grind on each other so hard and it was a severe case. And he tells me, this is what he told me. He said, I want you to know before you look at my teeth that the way they are is because 
of a dentist when I was like six or seven drilled half my teeth off and left me that way. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. How old were you? And he goes, six or seven. I said, okay. I said, uh, well, at that age. What about the other 24 teeth? Well, I said, <laughs> at, six, at six or seven, I said, you wouldn't have had half these teeth in your mouth at that time. Yeah. He's like, well, I might have been eight or nine. I was like, eh, still, you wouldn't have had half these teeth. And I said, and the idea that the dentist could drill the upper ones and the lower ones in such a fashion that they would fit together would be so deliberate and not just like haphazard, I'm just going to drill. Anyways, he became irate with me. He became angry, like real quick. He was like, I thought I was going to be able to trust you, but you're just like all the other dentists and they don't believe me and no one believes me. And everyone tells me that I grind my teeth. Don't you dare tell me I grind my teeth. He starts yelling. And I was like, man, I'm just, I'm just, I'm trying to help you. I said, this is a problem for you. And I can't really get to the solution unless we understand the problem. And that's all I'm trying to do is I'm, I'm here to help you, man. And he was like, no, you're not. You're calling me a liar. And <clears throat> anyway, freaked out, left the office, stormed out. Three or four hours go by and I'm going home. Okay. I walk into the, into the parking lot and all of a sudden out of nowhere, I'm driving my car and this old beat up truck comes like kind of fast and like comes to a halt right where I'm standing as I'm going into my car and it's him. It's this guy. Now it's like three or four hours later in my like heart and my mind. I was like, he's going to pull a gun. I'm going I'm to freaking die. I said in my head, I was like, I'm going to die right now. Like he's got it. He's so pissed at me. And he was so unhinged when I talked to him, like definitely I'm mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. Now he didn't throw, pull a gun on me, but I was worried about it. And, um, what he did say, he stopped and he said, I just want you to know, I left you a little review online. And I said, oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. And I knew it was bad. I knew he was like, not that kind of review. And he sped off and left. So, uh, but that experience kind of scared me because he was such an unhinged individual. And we, I work with so many of, I mean, there's a lot of people like that that come in yeah. and I mean, their teeth are trashed. And so that was an experience I had where I was like, man, it would have been nice to know that I had some protection there and, uh, yeah. and in that kind of situation. What do you think about an assistant coming to you and saying, this has actually happened to me, coming to you and saying, I'd like to conceal, I'd like to, I'd like to carry, uh, I'd like to carry as I, you know, what's the, I'd like to conceal, conceal carry on the job. How do you feel about that? And let's say a trusted assistant, assistant, you know, goes through all the legal channels, safe, responsible in all, all respects. How do you feel about that? Um, as long as they're trained, um, to be able to do it, then I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah. My situation, that I, <laughs> I said the same thing. I said, I'm, I'm cool with that. In my heart, I was like, I think the person with the guns, the boss though. And, uh, if you have the gun, maybe you're the boss <laughs> as far as who's in well, charge. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the biggest hazards I think with dentistry, um, as opposed to, I mean, really any, anybody that has the capability to prescribe narcotics, Mm. you know, like we are in a hazardous profession because people know that and they know that we have prescription pads. They know that we have computers that can print prescriptions 
and they know that yeah. um, some offices have narcotics on hand, you know, that we use for sedation cases. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, will people kill you for a prescription pad or a bottle of 20 hydrocodone? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So, without, I mean, you know, without hesitation, they will. Yeah. It's a sad if it's world. a Friday and, and you know, the, the heroin or oxy community around here is dried up, you know, somebody might kill you for a dozen tramadols. Um, so, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, a concern and it's something that, um, I think if, you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, it's like anything in the world. It's just there's a large amount of people who are just willfully ignorant of those kinds of things. And they don't realize until they become a victim of a crime that, oh, my God, like, you know, I, yeah. you know. Well, Glenda, Glenda at the front desk was calling 911 and it was 14 minutes before they got here. Yeah. No. I think Dennis seemed like a soft mark too to a lot of people. A Dennis seems yeah. like a, I mean, like Dennis are kind of like our stereotype is nerdy, like weak and nerdy, and uh, you know, just not like the type that would push back in a lethal or type. resist, yeah, yeah or resist yeah. in any kind of like significant way. So I think it's like for some people, it's an easy. It seems like an easy mark. Um, Sure. And some offices actually do have like, you know, stores of they store narcotics at their office uh, yeah. versus which we're allowed to do. I don't do that for that very reason. I don't want that to be known or ever found out and be targeted for anything. That's the reason I don't do it. So I let the pharmacies take that liability. But absolutely, it's a, it's dangerous out there for sure. OK, let's get into your actual question that you posed to me on Instagram, which I thought was a really <laughs> which I thought was a really good one. And it's been some time since we talked about Perio, um, mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> I've had some issues talking about Perio in the past. But I think this is a great topic to dive into because I think this is what a lot of people worry about, and I think every dentist deals with this. And this boils down to a miscommunication between the patient and the doctor, in my opinion. So the situation arises. This is what you. This is what you uh, tell me if I'm interpreting this correctly. I don't have it right in front of me. But you, the situation arises where a patient wants a regular cleaning. Uh -huh. But the dentist says, no, you need a deep cleaning. Patient says, no, I want a regular one. And this, this, uh, this impasse is created between the dentist and the patient where it's like, well, you need this other deeper type cleaning, but you don't want to pay for it, obviously. Um, and this is what you want. And now I either have to give you what you want or dig my heels in and 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 you know stick to my guns with the treatment that I think is appropriate and that can be kind of scary because it might mean you lose the patient get into an argument patient gets pissed off maybe leaves you a bad review uh, all kinds of consequences for you is that kind of the basis of the of the question yeah yeah but I mean I think you know the the I think the thing I said in the questions I actually said like specific numbers you know like probing depths greater than four um, mm. and, you know, radiographic bone loss, you know, of two millimeters or more. Um, and on. those are always kind of like my, um, my, um, hard stops for that kind of thing. Yeah. Here's what you said. Here's what I said. I don't see, uh, you want to hear my spin on perio refusals. Like patient has depths greater than four millimeters and greater than two millimeters of bone loss, but they just want a normal cleaning. 
what's right, what's ethical, what kind of liability are we as providers facing if we continue to treat a patient effectively under supervised negligence. Um, and then you, <laughs> you, said, you said you'd dismiss them. You know what you do, but some of the other colleagues maybe aren't as brave as you are in that situation. So this, this comes up all the time, all the time. Patients don't want the deep cleaning, but they have, they have gum disease. They have perio disease, which is what puts them in another category of cleaning. Yeah. And uh, I guess supervised, supervised neglect would be an important term to kind of define what is supervised neglect. Would, do you have a definition that you, that you kind of adhere to when you hear the word supervised neglect? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's basically um, treating below the standard of care um, knowingly. So if, you know, if someone has, uh, you know, readings that would indicate to me or to you or to any trained professional um, that they have a disease state, you know, failure to treat that um, and us recognizing that they are in a state of disease, it's incumbent on us to, you know, steer them in the proper direction that's either curative or at least treats that disease. Um, and failure to do so, uh, you know, is is ultimately, you know, the, the responsibility for that falls on our shoulders. And the, the problem with um, that I see, you know, from the litigation perspective is that um, people will say like, ah, oh, you know, you got, you know, generalized sixes and, um, you know, two to four millimeters of bone loss on the x-rays, but it's and calcul, you know, visible calculus on the x-rays, but that's cool. Let's just go ahead and, um, you know, you want, uh, crowns, like, let's just do a bunch of crowns. Right. And, and they do, you know, and then you look at the post-op films, uh, uh, you know, for the crown seats and the calculus is still there. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the bone loss is of course still there. So now, you know, time rolls by and that doctor either, you know, dies or retires or something like that. So then this person ends up, this patient ends up going to another provider, you know, that's maybe somebody a, a generation or two younger than their previous dentist. And they go, Holy smokes, you have you know, active gum disease, you know, we need to do something about this. And they're like, you know, Dr. Johnson never said a thing about that. Um, and they yeah. think you're crazy. And then when you actually show it to them or better yet, like send them to a periodontist, um, then they go, well, you know, now I'm going to sue his estate or whatever, you know, it, it turns into a big mess. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've actually seen that, you know, the ramifications of that in, in real life. And, I and think like I think I said, it's one of the biggest um, uh, uh, reasons that lead to uh, litigation, litigation against dentists is yeah. supervised neglect. It might be number one is the super yeah. is supervised neglect is what is really coming back and hitting dentists uh, years years later. Uh, yeah. So it, it is. A, I think it's a big deal for for dentists to talk about. So it's. Uh, I always use the analogy of like it's like putting a bandaid on a gunshot wound. It's like, you know, you know how to dress a wound, you know how to handle that, but you're not handling it. And the, yeah, you know, it's a little bit of a smaller scale, but it's kind of to magnify, to kind of exaggerate it, to kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. So if you're a patient uh, and you're listening, you might not think this is a big deal, but 
a lot of times, well, there's like, I don't know, there's like five different types of cleanings. What you got? You got a simple profi, you got a gross debridement, you got perio maintenance, you got mm -hmm. uh, scaling and root planing, then you got mm -hmm. limited scaling and root planing, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there's all different kinds of codes, but patients don't know that. Patients don't, yeah. patients just, I'm here for my cleaning. And yeah. you're like, and, and now you as the dentist or the hygienist or the team have to figure out what kind of cleaning is necessary. And that's where the disconnect I think is with so many dentists and, and their patients is they don't realize, oh, there's five or six different types of cleanings and I got to figure out what I qualify for. That's the main actual, that, that's one of the big reasons why you're even there in the first place. If you're asking the dentist, that's why you're yeah. there. we're going to, we're here to assess your, your gum health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that a lot of, um, dentists, you know, don't do, and I know this like from being in education is that they kind of allow their perio treatment to, to be strictly guided by what their hygiene says. And so, you know, if their hygienist says like, you know, Oh, I want to do this or, Oh, I want to do that. Or I don't think he needs this, or I don't think he needs that. A lot of times they'll kind of, and not to say that, you know, hygienists aren't skilled, but ultimately if this comes back into a case of litigation or um, an issue, it's not going to fall on the hygienist's shoulders. It's going right. to fall on the dentist's shoulders. I mean, there could be like a, a shared liability thing um, in some states, but in most states, it's the doctor who is prescribing treatment. Right. So, you know, if they're prescribing treatment that's based on somebody else's observations and not their own, um, who isn't a doctor, then, you know, congratulations, you're on the hook for that. Totally. Totally. So, <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, and, you know, hopefully you, you have like a well enough trained hygiene staff and they know how you are that, you know, if you have a patient that has, you know, generalized fours or worse, and then, um, you know, radiographic bone loss and calculus, when you come in the room, they kind of already know that you're going to say, you know, four quads. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, or if it's just in the posteriors, you're going to say, you know, one to three in all four quads. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, listen, if you're a patient listening, because a lot of our, a lot of our listeners are patients. A lot of our listeners are non-dentists sure. that listen, this is important because that, that might give you a little, uh, maybe you've been in the situation before where you're like, why can't I just get a simple cleaning? I don't want the deep clean. I just give me a simple one. I, I just thought it's all I want. That's the reason why. I mean, dentists are actually like like it's a liability for dentists. Also, it's not the right it's not the right procedure for you. Um, a simple cleaning doesn't go below the gum tissue to remove the debris that's kind of glued itself there, causing your gums to peel away, like literally peel off your teeth, which will eventually lead to bone loss and your teeth getting loose and falling out of your head. All because the correct cleaning wasn't prescribed slash diagnosed and executed. So, yeah. so I'm with you where my, you know, I'm come to the point in my career. I think when you're earlier in the career, it's hard to establish this, but I think later on you get a decade under your belt. It gets really easy to say, you need a deep cleaning. Like, can I have a simple one? And you say, Nope, Nope. And yeah. I, I can tell you why I can go over your x-rays. Do you want me to go over that with you? I can tell you exactly why you can't have it. Well, Dr. So-and-so used to always just give a simple cleaning. Well, uh, yeah, you can go back there and they'll, maybe they'll keep doing that. But as far as I'm concerned, you know, this is putting a bandaid on a gunshot wound and I just can't, I'm just not willing to do that. Cause I don't think it's the correct thing to do for you. And I wouldn't do it on my wife, you know, mother, sister, anyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, the further we get down the road with the actual science of, of periodontology and how um, gum disease, you know, the pathogenesis of gum disease, you know, we know now that it's it's basically an autoimmune disease. So, mm. you know, it's, it's you know, caused by talk. It's, it's like a multifactorial disease. There's multiple things going on. You know, you have bacteria that are causing damage. You have your own body that is causing damage to itself because of toxins that are present there you know, that are generated by the bacteria as well. So you kind of have a multifactorial disease state going on. And, you know, not being able to treat that effectively is, is just doing you no good. So, you know, I'd say it's, it's kind of like the, uh, you know, about 80% of people will go, okay, wow, I never realized it was that bad. You know, and you show them the x-rays, you show them, you know, where their bone level is, show them where their bone level should be, um, and then show them on the photo, you know, intraoral photos or intraoral video, show them like the calculus that they have aggregated and what that actually looks like on the x-ray, then they can kind of go like, oh, dang. And, you know, you'll still get 20% of people that are going to stand up and grab their purse or grab their hat and cuss mm -hmm. you and go out. And yeah. those people, I mean, you know, just to be um, safe, you know, I just always dismiss those people from the practice anyway because yeah uh, you know, i'm not their guy you know it's the same thing we get the same kind of conversation with other things too um uh, you know uh you need a crown hey doc can you just do a filling nah, yeah no or you need a root canal even and well, yeah. can, can you just fill it instead well no here's the question can a person give consent for substandard care and the answer from any regulatory agency I've heard is a resounding no. They cannot give consent. So, yeah. so it is it is not a consensual relationship when, when they say, can you just fill it? No, it needs a root canal. But I'm giving you permission to fill it. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Correct. You, yeah. you cannot I, give – yeah, go ahead. And, and that's what a lot of people will say. You know, They'll say, like, can you just give me a piece of paper that I'll sign that says that you know I won't hold you liable for any of this, you know, and – I always tell people, no, like there's no piece of paper. There's no waiver that exists anywhere right. that is that is airtight, you know, in court. You could still turn around immediately after signing that thing and sue me. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there's nothing that that's why, like, you know, it sounds kind of crazy. But I mean, it probably happens 25 or 30 times a year where, you know, I just go like, you know what? I don't think that I'm the guy for you. So. Uh, yeah. You know, Caitlin's going to get you some information on some other dentists that are in the area. And you just have a good rest of the day, okay? <laughs> and um, and then they're kind of like, "Hey, what the hell? Like that guy just like walked out of here, you know?" And I don't come back. Right. Once I walked out, I, that's it. Negotiations are over. Right. And you know, my staff knows it. that, so that, so they know, like, yeah, you know, if when this happens, you know, and when people don't, you know, want to go with the prescribed treatment, you know, and, and my assistants, like the good ones, would even say, like. Look, Dr. House doesn't give a damn about making money off of you. Like, he just wants to do the right thing for you. And if you don't let him do that, he's not going to do substandard treatment on you. So, sorry. Yeah, we just can't have that argument. Like, we can have a discussion as long as it maintains a discussion. But, it, you know, if it turns into an argument, I just, you can't, we can't have this argument. This isn't an argument. We can't have this. Uh, no, this there's no a, negotiation. This is not a discussion. This is what you no. need. And if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. And like you said, here's a list of. Some other dentists yeah. in the area, you can go check out and see if they'll do it for you. Hey, before I forget, yeah. this has been super helpful. Uh, before I forget, let's do a secret word. 
uh, everybody listening. Uh, we got a secret word coming up. Uh, Dr. House is going to give us a secret word here. I want the the first person to email this secret word to drilledpodcast at gmail.com is going to get 500 bucks to spend at my office at the Comfort Dental Camus in, uh, in Camus, Washington. Have you thought about something? You got something coming to mind, Sherman? I do. What, what's, what's, the, what's the magic word today? Neglect. <laughs> That's, that is perfect. What a perfect word. So I want you to email the word neglect to drilledpodcast at gmail.com, and that's worth 500 big, big ones. Remember, if you can't use it yourself, I do allow you to gift this to somebody else who can, always someone who's uh, who could could use 500 bucks uh, towards their mouth. Love doing these little small giveaways. We love doing the big ones that we do as well, so stay tuned for those. Uh, Sherman, how can people find you? If they want to ta- chat to you more about your tattoos, your guns, or your stance on perio. Um. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Sherman House. Okay, there you go. Follow him on Instagram, guys. He's awesome. And uh, man, I just appreciate you coming on and chatting with yeah. chatting with me. Uh, this has been fantastic. It's a great topic to go over, and I love it. And uh, uh, thank you so much. Glad to do it, man. Hey, everybody. We'll be back next week with another guest, uh, another fun topic, maybe something worthwhile. Who knows? We never know. It could be my, you know, whatever. Come back next week. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.